Hello again, and welcome to another edition of DK's Amp Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm DK, and I'm your host. My data shows 49 total plays as of today, Tuesday, April 28th, 2020. I don't know how accurate that is, but that puts a smile on my face. Just a shout out and thank you to all those who've listened and are giving me feedback on my first two episodes. Keep that feedback coming. I welcome all feedback, good or bad, or any any ideas that you might want to hear for future episodes. You're listening right now to the Bass Nectar remix of the classic Pixie song, Where's My Mind. I first heard this song in 2009, and it was an extremely influential song at the time for me. You're going to learn a lot about this song today and many, many more in today's episode. I've been podcasting for three weeks, and I'm going to say this. I'm having way more fun than I ever thought I'd have. And little did I know how damn enjoyable that putting today's episode together was going to be. For a few days, I literally woke up in the middle of the night last week with ideas in my head for this very episode. So to curb that, I spent 10 hours one day and put all my ideas on paper as to what I wanted to talk about. At least I was able to sleep that night. Now it's safe to say I've probably put a total of 40 plus hours to work in the next two podcasts. Today's episode three is rightly titled, Music That Influenced My Life, Part One of Two. Before I get started, I wanted to once again thank Jeremiah Logeman and Flags Over Wisconsin for agreeing to be today's sponsor. He's my first two-time sponsor. Jeremiah hooked me up with the Anchor website uh, link so that I could start this fun side gig. Thank you, JLo. If anyone is looking for some badass cool stuff that's all Wisconsin-themed, artwork made from bar materials, brandy old-fashioned lip balm, whiskey, Wisco Lucky Dice, Wisco Supper Club t-shirts, cheesy Chuck Taylor shoes, or other random stuff, head on over to flagsoverwisconsin.com and you can find that right on the World Wide Web. I recently turned J-Lo onto the Oakstone Recreational, which, by the way, was last week's sponsor. And those two have been talking a little bit about some sort of an outdoor bar, so that's pretty cool. Jeremiah does a lot of contract work for those who have remodeling or commercial construction projects in mind, so keep Jeremiah and Flags Over Wisconsin in mind. And for the three lucky listeners from today's episode... Flags Over Wisconsin will be willing to give away a three-pack of some dope Wisco license plate stickers again to my first three listeners that email me at ampedmobiledjservice at gmail.com. Again, that's amped, A-M-P-E-D, mobiledjservice at gmail.com. So make sure you check out flagsoverwisconsin.com and give J-Lo a hard time. So I wanted to give you a little backstory before we get started. I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin on a farm with two older sisters who started my love for music. Sherry's the oldest at 10 years older than me, and my sister Kathy is five years older. My parents listened to only country and poker music at the time, 
I didn't much care for country, probably because my sisters didn't. But polka? Polka's pretty fun. I guess I sort of always wanted to be a bit of a rebel, and I swore against country music at a very, very early age. Mostly because my parents listened to it. Not that I hated my parents, just wanted to be a rebel. I remember whenever my parents would play country, I would go in my room and listen to the radio. Okay, I'm being a little too kind. At the time, I hated country music. Like, hated with a passion. So over the next two episodes, you're going to learn all about the most influential music uh, events in my life. Why two parts? Well, because I hate long podcasts, for one. And I want to make my make sure mine are a little bit shorter in length. I guess I'm a sucker for the to-be-continued type of TV shows. Take Walker, Texas Ranger, for example. Don't you just love it when Chuck Norris doesn't finish somebody off with a roundhouse kick in the face by about the 55-minute mark of the episode? And then you know that there's going to be a to-be-continued coming up in three minutes, and that to-be-continued episode is next week. That shit's great. Two more real quick things. For those of you who are looking to book me for DJ services, please don't let this music reflect on what I play for your events. I play what you want to hear, not what I want to hear. I'm good at what I do, and I specialize in putting people's feet on the dance floor. This is just the music that I listen to on my own. Lastly, I also do apologize in advance for saying things like, and this is such a great album, no less than 247 times during these next two episodes. Sorry for that. They're just all really good albums to me. So let's together dive headfirst into the music that shaped my life. Let's start back in 1979. This is the early memory of falling in love with music that I've ever had. It just so happens it was wrapped around Christmas music. Probably because I waited all year long for Christmas, that one magical day where I got presents. I used to get so stoked, and I would be so excited that I would literally get sick and throw up around Christmas when there was Christmas presents under the tree and I had no clue what they were. I think there were two records I played on rotation around this time. Merry Christmas from the Brady Bunch and some Christmas album from Captain Kangaroo. I was a pretty big fan of both shows back in the day, so they were on heavy rotation for me at the time. In fact, I actually have the vinyl of the Brady Bunch album on my wall in my basement, which is now dubbed DK's new podcast sound booth. Uh, 1980, let's move a year forward. The Beatles and the Who Split 55. Why... Side A had the Beatles come together, why Side B had the Who, My Generations. I couldn't tell you how both of these bands got to be on this one record single, but I don't give a shit. I listened to this nonstop. I have no clue where it came from, but I had it in my possession. I wonder whatever happened to that record. I need to search my mom and dad's house next time I get home to figure out where the hell it is, see if it even exists. Let's move forward to 1984. Like I said earlier, my sisters were big influences in my music world early on. And they were heavily influenced by 80s radio hits. Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA, was the first full album I remember listening to. 
That album is so fun to listen to, and I'll tell you what, it really does stand the test of time. The other album I remember from that year was Wham! Make It Big. I think it was my sister Kathy that was listening to that one quite a bit. That's George Michael and some other dude. Now, can you actually remember who the other dude's name is without looking? Yeah, see? I can't either. Now, this album it generally does not stand the test of time, but it's still a fun one to plug into, the, into my radio every once in a while. 1986. Now I'm around 10 or 11 years old, and this is when my music passion really started to kick in, or should I say, when all hell broke loose for me. I don't think I did anything between 5th and 6th grade except listen to music. The Bangles, A Different Light. This album, my oldest sister Sherry drove into my head. Thank you. And I actually mean that sincerely. These ladies can play music very well, and I did have a huge crush on Susanna Hoffs at the time. Bruce Hornsby in the range, the way it is. Another one drilled into my skull by my sisters. And now let's spend a little time on this next gem. The Beastie Boys, Licensed to Ill. Easily the most single, influential album in my life. I know all the lyrics, all the breakbeats, and the scratching by heart. I still listen to it a shit ton today. These three snotty kids from New York City were a, a musical shift for me. Something other than 80s pop rock. Rap changed my life. The Beastie Boys changed my life. The License to Ill album changed most people's lives that I'm friends with today as well. The funny thing is, is that Fight for Your Right to Party is the worst song on the entire album, in my opinion, and it's still an amazing track, and one of the Beastie's biggest hits ever. My favorite songs on the album are Hold It Now, Hit It, Rhyming and Stealing is Amazing, The New Style, and of course, Paul Revere. Paul Revere is still to this day my go-to karaoke song of choice. Poison, Look What the Cat Dragged In. This was the first hair metal album I ever owned. I'm not sure how I got it. Maybe a birthday or Christmas present. All I know is Poison was my introduction to hair metal. I love this album. Europe, The Final Countdown. The second hair metal album I own. Who doesn't love the song Final Countdown? I remember trying to sell my sister on why she should incorporate the song Rock the Night into her cheerleading routine for school. Yeah, that really, she really should have done that. It would have been all time for Little Wild Rose High School. Genesis, Invisible Touch. An amazing album again. I think I love it so much because it's so overproduced. I've never heard anything like it before this album. I am truly a sucker for an overproduced album. They just sound so good with good headphones or a good stereo system. Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet. I don't know what it is about this album, but it keeps my attention nonstop. I just want to listen to it all the damn time. At least I did back then. I remember ranking the songs based on which ones I liked best. I would take a pencil and write the number of the rank on the cassette sleeve. My ranking kept changing every time I listened to it, so I would keep erasing the numbers constantly. Now, when you erase something too much, 
You literally wear right through the paper. I'm pretty sure I wore this through this cassette sleeve. <laughs> I would say my favorite song on the album is Wild in the Streets still to this day. My favorite song on that album. Uh, 1987. Okay, now we're in sixth grade. And this for me is when shit really hit the fan. So let's take the album Motley Crue, Girls, 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 for example. So here's a really funny story about this album. So sixth grade, we had a project where we had to recite poetry in front of the class. I chose to write down all the lyrics from the Girls, Girls, Girls album and recite it for poetry in front of the entire class. I had no clue at the time that this song is literally about nudie bars. Gentlemen's clubs, if you will. <laughs> Not a clue. And I, I said every word verbatim in poetry in front of the entire sixth grade class. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I got a, I got a call home to mom on that. <laughs> Anyways, at the time, this album it was really all I listened to. I thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. When I listen to the album now, eh, it's just okay. There are some pretty shitty songs on the album, like the song Nona, but also some real bangers like Wild Side, Girls, 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 and All in the Name Of. You can tell these fuckers were high as a kite when they wrote this record, though. By the way, if you haven't watched the movie The Dirt on Netflix, you gotta check it out. You'll see for yourself just how wild Motley Crue was back then. Next album, Run DMC, King of Rock. At the time, Run DMC was really the only other rap group I knew other than the Beastie Boys and random rap songs I heard on the radio for that matter. I think I got this album from my good friend and neighbor Zach Baldus. Songs like You Talk Too Much, Jam Master Jammin', and It's Not Funny were cutting edge at the time. Well, cutting edge to me anyways. It was probably this album that really got me into the rap art to other rap artists, more so than just the Beastie Boys. Around that time, I heard my first dirty lyric song, Hey We Want Some Pussy. The sound was absolutely horrible and so grainy. I'm probably sure it was a dub of a dub of a dub, and then I dubbed it, so you literally had to listen to that one song with the volume cranked all the way up to 10 to just barely be able to hear anything. I didn't care. I had my own copy at that point. A neighbor played it for me, and since the only rap artist other than the, uh, the only, I should say the only rap artists we knew at the time were Run DMC and the Beastie Boys, so we swore it had to be one of those two rap artists that put the song together. <laughs> That's really funny when I think back to it now. More on that song coming up. Uh, bon Jovi. Their self-titled debut album and the 7800 Degrees Fahrenheit. This is the first time that I decided to dive into a band's discography and listen to other albums that just weren't the ones I knew. I knew Slippery When Wet by heart. Like all the guitar solos, drum beats, and everything. When I heard these two albums, they were just a little different than Slippery When Wet. It was a game changer. I realized musical artists had other music, and I had to get access to it. Now, around that same time, my good buddies Steve and Andy Caves had a subscription to Columbia House Music, so I had access to so much more music. 
at the time, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, at that time, before the internet and music streaming existed, Columbia House cornered the market for music lovers. 12 albums for a penny? That's a, that's a deal. Or something like that. Anyways, that was their catchphrase. 12 albums for a penny. Who could pass that up? Even though you got nabbed and you paid a lot of money later on for those albums. Van Halen, 1984. 5150. Van Halen 1 and 2. I think I had access to uh, to all these around the same time. And I listened to them to a ton. Probably in that order for that matter. I know I'll catch some slack for this next statement, but that 5150 album of Van Halen's is my favorite Van Halen album. I know, I know. It's Sammy Hagar, you say. Well, I don't give a crap. I like it, and that's all there is to it. Don't get me wrong. Early David Lee Roth, Van Halen is extremely good as well, and I love it. But this 5150 album is my favorite. I mean, the album opens up with, Hello, baby! And then, boom, it goes into a guitar solo. How can you not get fired up when you hear that? Now, here's my last thing on 5150 album. Isn't Van Halen all about showcasing Eddie Van Halen's guitar riffing talents anyway? If so, this is some of his finest work, truly. Def Leppard, Hysteria. Another way overproduced album, but full of sing-along, stadium-filling singles. My favorite on this album is the six-and-a-half-minute song, Rocket. Okay, here's another really funny grade school story. So sixth grade, we had another project to lip-sync a song. So me, uh, I believe it was Steve Caves and Zach Baldus, we each made our own instruments, and we lip-synced the song Hysteria off of this album. It was absolutely awesome. I remember we destroyed that lip sync. And then when we got done, we destroyed all of our instruments by smashing them on the gym floor. It was, it was pretty all time. I, I will say that. All right, let's skip to 1988. Even more hair metal and rap were listened to this year by me. Here are some albums that come to mind. Poison, Open Up and Say Ah. Nothing But a Good Time is on this album, and that's an awesome song. The Bangles, the Everything album, along with the song Hazy Shade of Winter. That is a great, great remake, by the way. Uh, White Snake, self-titled album, which, by the way, is still one of my favorite hair metal albums. It's absolutely perfect cover to cover. Scorpion's Animal Magnetism. I found this at the mall in Stevens Point. My mom was interested that day in going school shopping and buying me clothes. I'll tell you what, I was a lot more interested in walking into the record store to finding a new album to listen to on the way home, and I found this gem. It's amazing how slow the beats are per minute on this album on certain songs. I love it and still love it today. I actually listened to it today, as a matter of fact. Just listen to the song, The Zoo. It's an amazing track. Kicks, Blow My Fuse, another underrated hair metal band and album. David Lee Ross solo album, Skyscraper and Eat em and Smile. Heart, Bad Adam Animals album. Aerosmith, Permanent Vacation. Na 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 na, dude, looks like a lady. That's a great song. The song Angel 
is a great song. Oh, that that album, Permanent Vacation, is full of bangers. And then I discovered Cinderella, the Night Songs album. I'll tell you this. Once I heard it, I knew this band was way different than any other hair metal bands. Like, different in the terms of having a way better musical talent than some of the other stuff I was listening to. Motley Crue and Poison were the most fun to listen to, no doubt. But that Cinderella album took hair metal to the whole new level. Underrated for sure at the time, but I'm glad to see Cinderella's finally getting credit where credit is deserved. Def Leppard, Pyromania, High and Dry, and On Through the Night. Well, ooten, gleeten, glotten, gloten. Props to the listeners who know what the hell I'm talking about with that. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. He's the DJ and I'm the rapper. The song Parents Just Don't Understand is the most underrated schoolboy anthem in my opinion. Why? Well, because parents sometimes really just don't understand. I remember in my high school uh, years, I, I did this song for poetry for forensics. Yes, I did very, very well at State and Madison that year, all due to G DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Great lyrics in the song. Just phenomenal. 1998 is also when I went to my first live rock concert. Thank you, Sherry and Dwayne, for taking me to see 38 Special at the Marathon County Fair. I didn't know any of the songs at the time that they were singing, but I'll tell you what, I knew I liked what I saw. Live music. All right, fast forward to 1989. Friday night videos. I didn't have cable, so I had no MTV. However, I did have Friday night videos, and it was truly amazing. Don't get me wrong. I did from time to time go to some friends' houses and, and had access to MTV and watched it. But I'm talking about something deeper here, folks. Music videos in my own home meant I could now tape these on my own VHS tape and watch them over and over and over again. Videos I can remember. Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation. Sam Kinison, Wild Thing. White Snake, Here I Go Again. And Aerosmith, Janie's Got a Gun. I think I watched each of these videos a hundred times. Funny thing is that a few weeks ago, I was on my bicycle trainer in my basement. I found a, a VCR tape that wasn't labeled and I decided to pop it in the old VCR. Yep, by the way, I still have a VCR in my basement. So, lo and behold, what did I see in front of me? Andrew Dice Clay hosting an episode of Friday Night Videos. Of course, I had to watch it. I'll tell you what, that took me back. <laughs> like, like way back. Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood album. The crew cleaned themselves up, and look what happened. Probably their best album ever. It's just full of... Awesome songs like Dr. Feelgood, She Goes Down, Same Old Situation, and the list goes on and on. I don't think there's a bad song on that entire album. Here's another funny story about Motley Crue. I'll tell you, some of my, some of my great memories and memories that put smiles on my faces come from Motley Crue. So for whatever reason, my mom saw this album, and anybody who's ever seen the album cover, it, it's, it's got some skulls on it and whatnot, and it's just a great hair metal cover drawing 
rendition, artwork, whatever you want to call it. My mom asked me, she goes, what are you, what kind of music are you listening to? So I grabbed the tape and I said, nothing, none. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, that was a great story. Had to be there, I guess. All right, next album, Slaughter, Stick It To Ya. Burning Bridges is just a classic song off that album. Skid Row, the self-titled debut. Winger and their self-titled debut. She's only 17. I mean, who writes a song about that? Winger does. <laughs> Young MC, Stone Cold Ryman. The song Fastest Rhyme was easily my favorite song on the album. You'll hear that a little later on. I remember mowing lawn with my cassette Walkman on listening to these next two albums. Heavy D and the Boys, Big Time. And the Beastie Boys classic, Paul Boutique. This Beastie Boys album is so amazing. And it was so far ahead of its time. I wouldn't really appreciate this album until, let's say, 10 to 15 years later than this year. I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure this is about the time when I realized that, that the rap group that did that dirty song I referenced earlier in this episode, it was in fact Two Live Crew and not the Beastie Boys or, or Run DMC. So then I went out and I got the album As Nasty As They Wanna Be. I remember having to label the cassette as the two crew so my parents wouldn't find it and throw it away because that would be the worst thing ever. I'm pretty sure every boy in America that year heard this album and or owned it at some point in their adolescence. And no, I didn't own the edited version. I owned the one that had the title As Nasty As They Want To Be. 1990. Okay, so this is the year that Vanilla Ice dropped the Ice Ice Baby song. I knew all the lyrics in about a week because I, that's the only song I listened to. I wanted to be Vanilla Ice. I had enough hair at that time, more so than my bald head, so I had enough hair at that time to attempt to do a Vanilla Ice hairstyle without the frosty tips. I used so much of my sister's Kathy's moose in my hair that when I would sweat in gym class and basketball practice, my eyes would just sting. Yes, Kathy, this is where all of your moose went. <laughs> Public Enemy, Fear of a Black Planet. This was a pretty big album for me back in the day. I remember being at my neighbor Ziggy's house in his room, listening to it, and it just amazed me. It's, it, it's just such a great album. Every song on that album is great. Even now when I listen to P.E., I hear something different that I've never heard before. It, Public Enemy just has that effect on you. Easy E. Easy does it. All right, so I owned the edited version of this album, and my, this was my introduction to gangster rap. It would be a few years later that I realized gangster rap was, in fact, pretty hardcore, mostly because this album, again, was a censored version, and it was pretty easy listening. Still, still a great album, though. Kid and Play Funhouse. It's a great movie and an even better album. Warrant, Cherry Pie. Poison, Flesh and, Bu and Blood. Of all the Poison albums, this is probably my favorite. Not gonna lie. 
Oh, here's some good ones. MC Hammer, too legit to quit, and please, Hammer, don't hurt him. I do know how to do the Hammer dance because I would do it all the time while listening to these albums. LL Cool J, Mama Said Knock You Out and Bigger and Deffer. Still to this day, I'm a pretty big LL fan. Winger, In the Heart of the Young. By the way, Winger really isn't that good of a band. But their albums are still pretty fun to listen to. I'm not going to lie. All right, ZZ Top, Afterburner, and Eliminator. In eighth grade, I took a guitar lesson as an elective, so I told my music teacher that I wanted him to teach me how to play the song Planet of Women on my guitar. He, he laughed quite a bit and said, okay. That was pretty rad. Throughout this whole time, every single week, I also listened to both Casey Kasem's Countdown and the Top 40 with Rick Dees. I still remember the Rick Dees Top 40. <laughs> I think I recorded most of the episodes as well. I, I lived with my headphones on my head around this time. Whatever the radio told me to listen to, I pretty much enjoyed it. Even the song Rico Suave, Suave by Gerardo which is probably one of the worst songs ever written. Still loved it. If anyone, by the way, ever finds Rico Suave on karaoke somewhere, you got to let me know because I'm pretty sure I know all the lyrics, even, even the ones in Spanish. Okay, we're now we're moving forward to 1991. This is the year I'll title, Oh Shit! What Was That? So. My music world as I knew it complete, completely flipped upside down when I saw it. I was sitting at my buddy Adrian Case's house watching the greatest after-school special, MTV, back when they actually played videos. And what did my eyes see? What did my ears hear? It was the Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit video. This changed everything. Without a doubt, Smells Like Teen Spirit is the most influential song of my entire life. This one killed hair metal for me. And it killed hair metal for the rest of the world. The intensity, the video, the rawness. I wanted more. I really did. I remember running out to buy the Nevermind album as soon as I could get to a town that actually sold cassettes. You have to understand, growing up in the small town of Wild Rose, I really didn't have the luxury of walking to the local record store. Local record stores didn't exist in my town. I think the closest one for me was about a 30-minute drive to Wapaka, which is probably where I got the Nevermind album. But once I had it in my possession, I listened to it over and over and over again. The whole album not just smells like teen spirit. It blew my mind. This was also the year that I discovered there was way better music in the world that wasn't played on the radio. Then it truly was on. Around the same time, some friends were listening to more alternative rock music as well. I wanted in. Let's talk about Nine Inch Nails, the Pretty Hate Machine album. Yep, this was the second most influential album for me right behind License to Ill and even more so than the Nevermind album. Industrial rock is Nine Inch Nails' genre. Other than rap, there, at the time, I didn't know of anything else on the radio uh, 
or that somebody had given me that was produced by sampling things, or at least that I knew of. Once I heard this album, it's really all I wanted to listen to. Then came the Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste album by Ministry. It's more gritty. It's heavier. And it's just as good as the Pretty Hate Machine album. I just discovered my love for industrial metal. I didn't know at the time how influential Uncle Al of Ministry was to Trent Reznor, but when I listen to Nine Inch Nails music today, I truly can hear it. EMF, Schubert Dip. This is another album that was pretty big time for me. I remember watching the video for Unbelievable with skaters in the background. I was pretty big into snowboarding and skateboarding at the time, and this hit home as a band for the riders. Kind of makes me smile that I say that now. <laughs> I just didn't realize that until later that uh, there was something called punk rock and metal in my future. Okay, now we're up to 1992. Here are some uh, great albums that I listened to back then. Ministry, Psalm 69, The Cure, Wish and Dis Disintegration album. These two albums are phenomenal, by the way. However, I really didn't listen to The Cure too much more than these two albums until years later. Jesus Jones, Doubt. Beastie Boys, Check Your Head. Violent Femmes, they're self-titled. I mean, Blister in the Sun, Kiss Off, Please Do Not Go, Add It Up, Gone Daddy Gone, Gimme the Car. These songs are timeless. They really are. It's hard for me to believe that all of these songs were on this album released way back in 1983. House of Pain, self-titled. I remember listening to this in Jeremy Kempfer's parents' house over and over again. We also listened to it a ton before track meets as well to get ourselves fired up. The song, Put On Your Shit Kickers and Kick Some Shit. Classic lyrics from this L.A. rap group who truly wish they were from Philly. Just a side note on House of Pain. They actually did release a third album titled Truth Crushed to Earth Shall Rise Again in 1996. Now, they broke up right after its release, so not many people know about it. I'm going to give you a suggestion. Give it a listen. It's actually really good. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, and the Mother's Milk album. I loved how funky their sound was. Pearl Jam 10, still the best Pearl Jam record in my opinion. Sir Mix-A-Lot, Mac Daddy, Baby Got Back. Yes, that's an all-time rap song. Uh, Criss Cross, Totally Crossed Out. I remember I put on my shirt and pants backwards in my room to try to be like these 13-year-olds. Well, I didn't really like the way it felt, so uh, that was the end of that. I tried it once. I gave it a shot. They Might Be Giants, Flood and Lincoln. Both fun albums to listen to. Ned's Atomic Dustbin, Are You Normal and Godfather. Okay, next up, Pixies, Trump de la Monde, and then the Bossa Nova, and then the Doolittle, and then the Surferosa albums in that order. Yes, I listened to these albums in reverse order of their release dates. The Pixies to this day are easily one of my top five favorite bands of all time, no doubt. Their music was so different from other stuff out at this time. I had no clue back then just how Nirvana named 
Pixies as being one of their most influential artists. That's pretty cool. I got my license around this time and went to the casino in Wapaka to see some random Grebo band. This was my second concert I ever went to, and I loved what I saw. Now, my mom told me not to go because drug deals go down there. <laughs> so I had to come up with some elaborate lie as to where I was going to be that night so Renny and I could go. Mom, she was right. I did see drug deals go down that night, but that's not why I was there. I was literally there to see my first alternative music band on stage for the first time. It was fantastic. 1993, Fugazi 13 Songs album. We used to play the song Waiting Room all the time before basketball games during shoot-around to get ourselves fired up. It's still one of my favorite songs. The Pearl Jam Versus album. Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream, and Gish. Faith No More, The Real Thing. It's it. What is it? It's it. What is it? Oh, and then another band that the lead singer of Faith No More is in. This band's called Mr. Bungle. And they had their classic, classic self-titled album, again called Mr. Bungle. Now do yourselves a favor and go listen to that album with an open mind. There's a, so much creativity behind that every song on that record. Lords of Acid, Lust, Blur, The Leisure Album, and Modern Life is Rubbish. Rage Against the Machine, their self-titled debut. Judgment Night Soundtrack. This was a pretty groundbreaking album for me. Now, I heard some rap songs over the years prior to that with guitars and whatnot, like Rock Box by Run DMC or Walk This Way by Run DMC and Aerosmith. But I'll tell you what, this truly was, in my opinion, the first actual rap rock album. You had Helmet and House of Pain collabing on Just Another Victim, Biohazard and Onyx on Judgment Night, and I can go on and on about why I love every single song on that album, but I'll save you the trouble. Go listen to it. Now, I still listen to it at least a couple times a year at a minimum. They Might Be Giants, Apollo 18. This is the best album to listen to on shuffle. You're welcome for me telling you that. Corrosions of Conformity, Blind. Salt and Peppa, Very Necessary. I remember Ziggy around this time, my neighbor, giving me a mixtape cassette with the Pacers and Fishbone on it. This was my first introduction to ska music. I remember not liking the Fishbone stuff nearly as much as the Pacers. The Pacers are a local Milwaukee ska band. I do like Fishbone quite a bit now. I just, you know, it's one of those bands I just had to let sink in. Now, around this time, I owned a pretty good collection of snowboard videos with awesome music on them. I got hooked on bands like White Zombie because of these videos. I remember, again, my neighbor Ziggy, who was part of the Wild Rose Snowboarding Jib Crew. We would watch snowboard videos every study hall in the AV room. Keep in mind, back then, the AV room in Wild Rose pretty much consisted of a picture tube TV with a VCR, but it was perfect. Why study during study hall when I could watch snowboard videos? I mean, am I right? Okay, 1994. So 93 and 94 was my senior year of high school at good old Wild Rose. This is the first year that I was influenced by punk rock. 
a foreign exchange student came to our school and I made friends with him because he's a pretty cool and crazy guy. He gave me a box full of cassettes and told me to give them back to him when I was all done. I'm pretty sure I had that box of cassettes for a couple months, maybe three or four months for that matter. But I did eventually give them all back. I can still visualize myself in my room listening to such albums like The Dead Milkmen, Big Lizard in My Backyard, Gorilla Biscuits, Start Today, Dead Kennedys, Bedtime for Democracy. The DKs are one of my favorite hardcore bands right now, and I really didn't start listening to them until several years later. Pennywise, Unknown Road, and their self-titled album. Offspring, Smash, Descendants, Enjoy, Bad Religion, Generator, and Against the Grain. Titas, Go Back, and probably about 10 more albums that I can't remember what they were. Most of these albums were recorded on Fat Records label. I also can't remember which ones I listened to first, but I'm pretty sure it must have been one of the Pennywise albums, probably the Unknown Road album. All I wanted to do was listen to punk rock tapes. They got me so fired up to do things. It's so fast, the message being so powerful. The, mo the music is just so stripped down and simple. I loved every minute of it. It's pretty safe to say that if I had to be stuck on a deserted island and I could only pick one genre of music to listen to the rest of my life, it would easily be punk rock. I didn't really start to explore the punk rock genre beyond these cassettes until I got to college the next year. I wish I was exposed to punk rock back in the early 80s, back in its heyday, back when it was just awesome. Now, other music I listened to that year. Beastie Boys, the Ill Communication album. Who doesn't like the song Sabotage? Seriously. House of Pain, same as it ever was. Cypress Hill. Both their self-titled and the Black Sunday album. <laughs> this takes me back to being in my uh, my room when I was trying to scratch on a record over the song Hand on a Pump playing in the background and then recording it on another boombox. Even back then, I had a sound, a sound booth. I wanted to be a DJ back then. I just didn't realize it. That summer after graduation, I went to my first really big show, Lollapalooza in Milwaukee on the Summerfest grounds. You got to understand, back then Lollapalooza was a traveling concert festival to different cities, quite different than it is now. Now it's one of the it's a one weekend festival in Chicago. So, I went there to see the Beastie Boys, which was still my all-time favorite band at the time. But I also saw Smashing Pumpkins, who was the co-headliner of the, of the tour, The Breeders, George Clinton and his 19-member P-Funk All-Stars, Luscious Jackson, and I think Cypress Hill. I can't remember if Cypress Hill was in Milwaukee or not. Either way, that concert was all-time. It was, it was awesome. It really was. Okay, late 1994 to 1997. These are my college years. So I'm putting these all kind of in the same little genre, little blurb because they all blend together for me. This is when I upgraded from cassettes to CDs and I bought a six-disc CD changer. I was all about the CD. Better quality sound. It's easier to rewind. I mean, there's no need for a pencil to rewind a cassette during class, am I right? 
in the Beastie Boys book that I just got done reading, Adam Horowitz does talk about walking through halls with as many cassettes as he could cram in all of his pockets. <laughs> that took me back when I read that because that's exactly how I was. But cassettes to the side, it was time to upgrade my music listening quality. So here's a few albums I remember listening to a lot over this time when I was in college. Jock Jams 1, that, that various artist album. Let's get ready to rumble! That's how it started. Yeah, it got me fired up. I was hooked. Everclear, Sparkle and Fade. The Jawbreaker album, Dear You. Okay, here's a couple more. They Might Be Giants, John Henry. I remember listening to that all the damn time for some reason. Along with the Revolting Cox Linger Fickin' Good album. Revco was a side project, by the way, of the band Ministry, who I labeled earlier as being a very favorite band of mine. Uh, Sublime, their self-titled album. I can't say anything about this album that hasn't already been said by others over the years. Anybody who's heard it loves it. It's just an album that's all time, and still no other album sounds like this. I pull it out all the time around this around this time of the year when the weather finally hits 70 degrees. I roll, I roll my windows down for the whole world to hear it with me. I never did get to see Sublime live, which kind of bums me out. And I refuse to go see Sublime with Rome because it just isn't the same thing without their old lead singer, Bradley Noel. I also discovered the band The Deftones around this time. That's another band that nobody else sounded like to that point. And it was such a blend of aggressive lyrics from a guy who has a great voice over heavy guitars and badass drum beats. Both the Adrenaline and the Around the Fur albums were way ahead of their time. I don't think people realize just how groundbreaking those first two albums were. It wasn't until the year 2000 when Deftones dropped their White Pony album that people really started taking notice of them. I know that's the one that gets all the credit for being the groundbreaking album, but for me, it started with those first two albums, especially that first one, the Adrenaline album. No FX. Here's a great 90s punk band that's still grinding out a lot of records. And Fat Mike, the lead singer, you know, either you hate him or love him. He's a guy who wants to shake the tree so apples fall on your head and make you think a little bit. Personally, I love NoFX. The Punkin' Drublick album, Ribbed, White Trash. These are still all-time favorites of mine that I listen to quite often. I also remember while living in the basement of a duplex that I rented in Menasha when I was in college, my NoFX liberal animation and Ribbed albums got stole by the snake landlord who didn't like that I painted my grungy basement walls blaze orange to brighten it up a little bit. I was pissed stealing my punk albums. Another album, Strung Out's first recording, Another Day in Paradise. 1994 is when they dropped that. I listened to it a ton. Then came Suburban Teenage Wasteland Blues in 96. This album is just so fast, and it has, it, it's, it has so many of my favorite Strung Out tracks on it including my all-time favorite Strung Out track, Radio Suicide. The speed at which they play their punk rock just amazes me. 
I remember thinking, how could a drummer do that at the lightning fast pace? How could the guitarist keep up with the drummer? How could the lyrics be so deep, have such a good meaning, be so melodic, and how can the lead singer remember all those precious words and recite them so fast? I absolutely loved them at this time, but they didn't really strike a nerve with me to say, they're my favorite band ever until years later. When, that's really when their discography got much, much deeper. More to come on part two on Strung Out. So I remember that around this time was big for techno breakbeats type music. My favorite out of all those bands was The Prodigy, solely based on the album that they dropped that time, at, at around that time, The Fat of the Land. That album is so dark and heavy, I love it. Hell, I still love it. Firestarter, Twisted Firestarter. Great, great album. Those were the years I made some new friends at FVTC. Chris Van Gompel comes to mind as helping me move my love of punk rock to the next level. He got me into also realizing that ska was a pretty awesome genre, mostly by introducing me to the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones album, Question the Answer. Andy Eppinger, who listened to ska, punk, grunge, and alternative, and wanted to go to all the shows with me all the damn time, just like I did. Tom Polson drove grunge into my skull. I remember wearing a lot of flannels tied around my waist with him. Brad Krause's love for hip-hop allowed me to explore that genre a bit more with Tupac Shakur, Biggie Smalls, uh, Andy Williams, a.k.a. A-Dub, who DJed on the side around this time and allowed me access to some of his music to listen to. My 16th cousin, Kurt Wismer, who is one of the only people I know who truly loves and listens to all types of music. Literally all types of music. All right, here's a date. October 31, 1995. That's when Gomps took me. Well, actually, I drove, so technically I took him, to Madison Freak Fest to see the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. This was the greatest show I ever went to until I went to see Iron Maiden last year. I remember Alligator Gun, Hagfish, and some other bands playing at the end of State Street. Something also tells me that Milo, the lead singer from The Descendants, was there singing with one of these bands. I just can't remember. This was well before Freak Fest became the shit show that it is today. There was just a ton of people in costumes, having fun, listening to music. There were no problems. MTV was there as well in 95 to record this. So that was pretty rad. I remember that right before the Boston's came on stage, some thick, heavy fog rolled in. How we got up to the front to see the band, we were in the second row. How we got up there is beyond me. I'm glad we got there, though. I'm glad we were that, that close. I just remember walking right up to the stage, and that's just where we were. So the fog that rolled in was so thick. When I look back, I couldn't see 10 rows behind me. If any of you have ever seen the Boston's, you're well aware of the how high energy they, their shows are, especially the one guy in the group who just skanks the whole time. 
Okay, so they were producing so much heat from the stage that their body heat met the fog from behind right about where we were in row two. It's hard to describe what was happening, but trust me, it was such an epic experience. I don't, I really don't think that weather anomaly will ever happen again. I'm serious. That was some once-in-a-lifetime shit that happened that day. You, you just had to be there, I guess. A few weeks earlier, I got to go see Fugazi at the Riverside Ballroom in Green Bay right before they broke up. I'm pretty sure this was the Red Medicine tour of some sort for the album. That show was fantastic as well. I remember going to see a hair metal show around this time. This was Keep in mind, this is when hair metal had died because of Nirvana. It was at the Checkered Flag parking lot in Appleton. My buddy Ben Lilge and I went to see Slaughter, I think it was Warrant, and Vince Neil. Vince Neil played all his old Motley Crue songs, so that was pretty neat. I remember at the time Ben and I were underage, so we had to be in this roped-off playpen area for the whole show because we couldn't consume alcohol being underage. Those were the days. Those were the days. It was also around this time that Gomps, Eppinger, and myself would frequent this awesome place in Green Bay called the Concert Cafe. It was pretty much nonstop, go to a show at the Concert Cafe, buy the album of the band I saw, and then listen to it over and over again until the next live show that was back at the Concert Cafe. A few shows that stood out to me there, Strung Out, Supernova, Jawbreaker, the Mr. T Experience, a band called Fuckface from Milwaukee that had two drummers, a cool name, and an awesome, crust, awesome crusty punk sound. Boris and the Sprinklers were a regular at the Concert Cafe because they were from Green Bay. I remember the drummer of Boris and the Sprinklers playing with only two or three different drums in his kit. I think maybe with one cymbal as well. Because, you know, punk is actually pretty simple music. It's just fast. That's all the drum equipment he needed. Oh, yeah. And the Suicide Machine show. I remember that one. We were at the bar next door drinking some peebers in between bands. And... The Suicide Machines came in and sat down at our table before the show because they just wanted to watch some hockey that was on the TV next to us. Man, that was a fun night of fun conversations, drinking peepers. That was great. Okay, let's spend a few minutes talking about the Vans Warp Tour from 96 to 99. I, I'm pretty sure I went all four years in a row. Now, you have to understand that back in that day, the Vans Warp Tour was the only game in town highlighting a traveling concert solely focused on punk, ska, and alternative hip-hop music. Exactly what I was listening to. Every year it came to Milwaukee. So, okay, first two years, it started out that at the Rave with three stages inside the building, from what I remember. I could go upstairs and see bands like Blink-182, Pennywise, The Boss Tones, and Face to Face and then go downstairs to see bands like 311, Alligator Gun, the Aquabats, and the Descendants. I have a story about the Descendants set. I had just gone through a breakup with a longtime girlfriend in 97. I was at the Warp Tour that summer. This was the second year I was at the Rave, and during the Descendants set, 
I chose to talk to a girl instead of seeing one of my favorite punk bands. Oh well. I missed out on that one, and I still have not seen the Descendants to this day. After a two-year stint inside the rave, Vans Warped Tour moved outdoors to the parking lot of the Old County Stadium, which really allowed them to sell more tickets and have more bands. I saw some great acts like Deftones, Seven Seconds, All, Bad Religion, The Bouncing Souls, The Cherry Poppin' Daddies, Guttermouth, Hepcat, H2O, Less Than Jake, MXPX, NoFX, No Use for a Name, Oza Motley, Rancid, Real Big Fish, Reverend Horton Heat, Save Ferris, Seven Dust, The Specials, Unwritten Law, and The Vandals. These are some of the more memorable performances. I do vaguely remember Eminem being at the venue, but I chose to skip his performance in lieu to see the Aquabats. At the time, it was a real simple choice. Some rapper dude that I had no clue who he was versus a nine-piece ska band that plays in costumes while battling monsters on stage? I mean, come on! That was a no-brainer! Now, there were many, many other shows I went to over this time, but there's just way too many to remember. So after seeing Rancid at the Warp Tour... I did fall in love with their blend of ska, and, uh, of ska and skate punk. I went out, I bought all their albums they had to date, and out come the Wolves, Life Won't Wait, Let's Go, and their self-titled album. I think I listened to the and out, and out Come the Wolves album over and over and over for a month solid. It's easily one of my top five favorite albums ever. Such a great album. So good. Another big show I saw back then was in Milwaukee at the old Mecca Arena. I can't remember the year, but 95 or 96 comes to, comes to mind. So here was the order of the artists at the show. No Doubt was the opener. So back then, I had this huge crush on Gwen Stefani. And I made sure I got right up in the front row when they played. The second band of the three that played that night was Green Day. They were not the headliner. Now, they might have been sharing headliner duties, but they were not the headliner. Uh, they stole the show, though. Man, Green Day back then was fucking amazing to go see. The headliner that night was the Goo Goo Dolls. Now, people, what you don't realize is that the Goo Goo Dolls started their career out as a punk rock band. Go listen to their self-titled album and Jed. You'll see what I mean. It wasn't until the Boy Named Goo tour that they really changed their sound to be a ton more radio-friendly, and that's when they just absolutely blew up in popularity. This was a great sold-out show. I'm thinking this was 95, but again, I just can't remember. I wish I had my ticket stub to that show. I just don't. I don't. Okay, let's go 1998. Andy Eppinger and I decided to travel to Minnesota to see a tribe called Quest open up for the Beastie Boys at the Target Center. This was the Hello Nasty tour for the Beasties. Also, a tribe just dropped their album, A Love Movement, another album that I actually just listened to today. I remember the Beastie Boys had the stage that rotated 360 degrees, and the Beastie Boys were literally jumping around the entire thing nonstop for probably a couple hours. <laughs> that show was so rad. 
The bonus was Mixmaster Mike did a live DJ set to kick the whole night off. Oh, yeah. This was the first tour that Mixmaster Mike did with the Beastie Boys. Word has it, he would change up the background track in the middle of a rhyme to try to throw Ad Rock, MCA, and Mike D off their games, but they, I'll tell you what, they never missed, a, never missed a beat, never missed a rhyme, probably because the Beastie Boys are true professionals. Strung out, twisted by, desi- I'm sorry, twisted by design dropped that year. I bought it. I loved it a ton. Almost as fast as Suburban's Teenage Wasteland Blues, but sonically more balanced and musically a little bit more heavy metal influenced. Man, Strung Out's a good band. Okay, folks, that's where I'm going to end it for today. So consider this your Chuck Norris, no roundhouse kick to the face at the end of the episode, to be continued moment of today's podcast. Tune in next week for part two where I pick up exactly where I left off at the year 2000 and head right into present day for the music, more music that changed my life. Now, don't forget to check out today's sponsor, flagsoverwisconsin.com to see what artwork JLo's cooking up this week. He also runs a blog and you can, uh, you can find that right through his website. He wants to give away another three three packs of stickers to the first three people that email me today or soon at ampedmobiledjservice at gmail.com. I want to say congrats to the three lucky winners of the sticker packs from episode one, Chris Olson, Tom Polson, and Matt Legree. Just don't place those stickers anywhere, Harry, or you're going to be in for a painful removal of those stickers. Also, don't forget to check out last week's sponsor, Oakstone Recreational in Cottage Grove, Wisconsin. They're still running their 10% discount on any takeout curbside food orders uh, now through this Sunday, May 3rd, 2020. Just go to oakstonerec.com and you can find out how to contact them. Don't forget, you have to tell them that you heard DK's AMP podcast in order to get that 10% discount. All right, so in closing, I'm going to play a fun little track off of the Young MC Stone Cold Rhyme album that I call Fastest Rhyme. So until next week... I'm out. For you is my game, and this my game. But what do you like? The young MC is on the mic, on the mic, and in the mic. So I'm rocking into the vicious face, the vicious face, the vicious house. I'm really gonna make you hypnotize, hypnotize. But then you're going, you're rocking into the breakage on the breakage on the breakage. Because my name is the young MC. Young MC is what I'm called. I'm not too heavy, not too tall. I'm not too tall. I'm never the whack. The young MC give a heart attack. Heart attack is what they give. I'm really gonna make you want to live. You want to live. You want to die. You rocking a vicious can't deny, can't deny. Just what you hear. You're rocking a Jersey month and year, month and year, and month and day. I'm gonna really take your breath away, breath away, and breath alive. I rhyme my like a synthesizer, synthesizing music machine. Rock the house, you know what I mean. What I mean is what I say. Gonna rock the house today. You rock today, you rock tonight. You're gonna really do it right. Do it right and do it wrong. I'm gonna make you sing a song. You sing a song cold with the glee. Cause my name is the Young of Sing.